You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another episode of our Spotify Live Q&A sessions where we are here live on the Spotify Live app answering your questions like a radio call-in show. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer of Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. Uh, with me, as always, is our two co-hosts. Uh, first, let's go to our managing editor, Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Make sure you spell that with K, by the way. Eric Schlitt is here. How are you doing, buddy? Good morning. I'm, uh, Good morning. I'm, I'm glad to see you're in a cheery mood. It's uh, going to make for a great podcast. I'm always in a cheery mood. How dare you? And now it's turned. Now, now I'm angry again. Here we go. Um, <laughs> our other co-host... Uh, is our senior editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Ryan underscore POD. Down here with all of us unchecked-marked folks, Ryan Matthews is here. Spotify Live, more like Spotify Unalive. This oh. app is dead. <laughs> We're keeping it alive here, so if you want to take part in it, download the app, follow us at Pride of Detroit, and maybe they will notice how integral we are to this app. Or you can just have a, a, a good two hours-ish of, of Lions Chat, which is what we're going to do here. And we are ready to bring on our first guest. Uh, Mathis is going to kick us off this week. Mathis, welcome to the show, man. There you go. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. Um, but uh, So my question for you, for you guys, um, I know we talk a lot about, uh, about the draft, but um, I, I want I want to... I want to look a little bit to the future, um, the the the, ske- the schedule. We know who our opponents are. We don't know the order yet. Um, but do you think what what do you first of all? What do you think? Um, just knowing who our opponents will be, we're playing the for for everybody just to remember. It's the a it's the AFC West, the NFC South, and then we play the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and then of course. The Cowboys, the Seahawks, and I don't know who are AFC. The Ravens. Oh, oh, great! Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, we play, uh, and then obviously our divisional opponents. So um, I just want—I just want your guys' opinion. Like, it feels like a pretty tough schedule because you know, I mean, you got the the Seahawks, you got the Seahawks and Cowboys who were playoff teams last year, and and the Seahawks are going to. Are, have just amount just about as much capital as we do, um, and then you've got the um, you've got the AFC West, which, which looks like it's going to be a tough division. But what do you guys think? Our um, what do you expect? Like our our outcome to be um, record wise, based off of those opponents. Yeah, I, I like looking ahead, and and sometimes we get the, the full schedule release in April, but last year I think it was in May, so. Might be a while till we actually, you know, see when and where these games are going to be played. Um, I guess the only where to really figure out is whether the lines are going to be playing in, in Germany or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
it, it to me it seems like a very imbalanced schedule, right? Because you're getting a lot of these quote unquote easier opponents: Atlanta, Carolina, Denver, Las Vegas, Seattle. Those are all home games. Whereas the away games are Kansas City, Chargers, Saints, Bucks, Cowboys, Ravens. So it, it seems like it's a, a pretty favorable home schedule and a pretty unfavorable away schedule. Uh, so I don't know. How do you how do you put that all together? Do you feel like this is an unfairly tough schedule, a, a pretty easy schedule, or somewhere in the middle? I'll go to Ryan first. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting uh part of this schedule and we talked about it a little bit Jeremy uh last night off air was you know the the potential for an international game um I think you throw that wrinkle into any schedule um and granted even if it's away from Arrowhead which would probably be a good thing for the Lions I mean that international travel is just you know something different so uh, that's an interesting wrinkle to to any schedule but I think you know looking at the I I think you hit the nail on the head like it, it is kind of imbalanced in terms of I feel like the first reaction that a lot of people had to the schedule was, oh man, like if you're looking for some interesting, fun, entertaining football, it might not be at Ford Field this year. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think the, the opponents that, that you'll be facing on the road, um, a much, much tougher challenge. But, you know, all of this goes, uh, like Matt just pointed out, without saying, you know, the draft hasn't happened yet. And uh, there's still a lot of things to shake themselves out. But, um, it, it, it'll be interesting how the schedule is balanced in terms of, you know, when when these games are happening. Because um, it's funny how a lot of people have already said, like, okay, Lions are going to be like six and zero in the division. Where else are they going to get wins? You know, so right. Um, and they were five and one, right? Yeah, they were. They were, and, and you know, they very well should have been six and zero if it wasn't for some things that I'm sure still keep Stan Campbell up at night um, from from some of the decisions he made in Minnesota early on in the year, but. Uh, yeah, I, you know, let's not overlook the division. I I guess that's maybe my takeaway from the schedule is like, don't overlook the division. Um, those are always tough games. The, the, you know, the bears are, they're going to be better than they were last year. And, you know, the Vikings are obviously going to take a step back, but, um, I don't know. Still don't want to count out the Packers. Well, it's funny because I see Packers fans kind of like justifying why they're still going to be good this year. And their justification is we had a crappy quarterback last year. So and and we almost made (laughs) playoffs, which is like, oh, you can only go up from here. Interesting. Like, that's an interesting way to look at at Aaron. And listen, he wasn't good, but it wasn't it wasn't horrible either. Like, I feel like this is a little bit revisionist history to just kind of like really put the Aaron Rodgers era behind them. But uh, I'll throw it to you, Eric. What What are your kind of takeaways of the schedule and and what it might mean for the record this year. Well, nobody copes better than a Packers fan. So that's a, you know, that's a good thing now. Okay. So first of all, they're going to go six and zero in the division. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then those five games at home, like the Falcons, Panthers, Broncos, Raiders, Seahawks, they should be favored in, in, if not all of them, four of them, right? Like, I would think that they all would go them. in. All of them, yeah, for right? sure, like, so like, Eric, yeah. All, all eight games at home, they should be in the driver's seat, I would think. Now, obviously, things can play out as they are, and as Ryan pointed out, depends on where they are in the schedule and a whole bunch of other things that are going to happen. But I would think the whole, the entire home schedule is, is going to be very, very favorable, favorable for the Lions. And then... If that Germ- if that uh, Chiefs game is in Germany, that kind of, like you guys said, it, it kind of makes it more of a coin flip. And then, you know, 
some of those, like the Saints, the Bucks, those those teams are beatable. They're not a, this dominant team. How are, are the Ravens going to be recovering from a Lamar Jackson list like uh, offense? Like, how are they going to be react? Like, there's a lot of opportunity in this schedule to find wins, and, and the NFL is, of course, built on parity. So there's going to be upsets, and there's going you're going to lose games you shouldn't, and you're going to win games you probably shouldn't. But I think this is a a much more favorable schedule than what they saw last year. And they had a, they were over 500 last year. So uh, at this point, I think all arrows are still pointing up. I, I only have two short points to make. And, and the first is that I'd like to point out to last, that last year around this time we were looking at the schedule and we said it was really easy and it turned out to be by win percentage, one of the toughest in the NFL. So a lot of things are, are likely going to change. And our perception of the schedule right now um, is probably not the clearest. Um, the other being that I, I do think the Lions still have a big point to prove um, in this league. They they beat up on a bunch of pretty bad teams last year towards the end of last season. They did, you know, they notched a good win or two with Minnesota and, and Jacksonville kind of being the two notable ones. And, and, the, Giants, and the Giants, I don't want to take. yeah, on the road. But again, like I think we look at some of those teams as kind of in the pretender category, like the Vikings, the Giants, those weren't the elite teams. Now they're going to have their chance to, to, you know, avenge those close losses against the Eagles and against the Cowboys and against the Bills on Thanksgiving. They still need to prove that they can kind of get over that hump. And like I said, they'll have those opportunities playing the Chiefs, playing the Cowboys, playing maybe the Ravens. But overall, I I do think that there aren't a lot of daunting looking teams on this schedule. And so as long as they can kind of take care of business, they're going to be in the driver's seat. Now, if they're going to be a true contender, they need to knock off some of those big games. But I still see this being a very, like, even if they don't make that next step in, in being able to con- to beat some of these elite teams, like, I still see a good 10 wins on the schedule. And I don't say that with a lot of comfort in my voice, but it's true. Yeah. It, to, underscore, to underscore your point, Jeremy, you mentioned this um, when we were having a discussion some other time. I can't remember which podcast it was, but, like, there's just this huge middle class, right, in the NFL. And I think the Lions are finding a way to kind of position themselves as like upper middle class by winning some of those games they won last year down the stretch. Now, you have to do that over the course of an entire season, but you start winning those games. Like you said, you start beating Buffalo on Thanksgiving, you know, you start taking care of business in games where, you know, maybe it's a three point spread or something like that. Then all of a sudden, you you over years you can build into that elite upper class of of football team. But I, th- I think I think that's kind of your point. Like right now, the Lions are situated in this large middle class that there is in the NFL because there's so much parity. Um, they, they do have to distinguish themselves as as being better than the rest of that group. So, but hey, then again, you can win 13 games with a negative point differential. So I don't know. The NFL's dumb. That's a good point. Uh, all right, we'll move on to the next question, Matt. Let's appreciate it, buddy. All right, let's jump to Michael. Michael is next on the call. Welcome, Michael. How you doing, guys? Good, good. Um, let me just start off by saying, last year when we kept on saying that we have a chance to win more games if our defense was in, we'll say, mid-range, like 15 or so, I think our defense has improved a lot. Plus, we're going to get some more people from the draft. But my thinking was the offense, top five. We led the league with over 30 points per game. 
we actually had two games over 40 points. Why not scare the entire NFL by taking a running back, offensive lineman, and also a linebacker and a nose tackle in the first two rounds? That way we increase our run and we stop the run and we defenses are getting smaller and faster with linebackers so our bigger running backs are going to make it to the second level and do more damage i'm going to let you go thanks guys appreciate the question michael um it, it is a kind of interesting kind of conundrum where it does feel like the lions have made enough progress on defense that you can be confident that maybe in fact that was our question of the day today right is what what do you think right now the level of the defense can be next year they finished 19th in dvoa from week nine and on and now you add all the the pieces that you did your younger pieces get older and better maybe this is already a middle of the road defense so maybe you do spend your resources making sure you don't regress on offense and maybe you even even get a little better now you did throw a running back in there and, and and that's not my ideal way to maybe make sure that that you're continuing to uh, stay at a high level, but I'm not, I'm not going to completely dismiss it in the second round. I think it's, it's more reasonable. So, uh, but let me, let me throw it to you guys before I, I ramble on about running backs over and over again. So Eric, what, what's your thought on maybe going offense early in this draft to make sure you don't have any of that regression? Well, it sounds like Michael read the mock draft that Ryan and I did because we had a running back offensive lineman, uh, all, all in the first five picks, right? We also had a receiver in the first five picks as well. So um, I do think adding to the offense to keep it a strength is a smart way of investing, uh, especially the offensive line. Like the, we, we talk a lot about, you know, Swift potentially needing a replacement uh, a year from now. And so we, the, the idea of a running back being, you know, taking taking an upper echelon running back in this class, like on day two, makes a lot of sense. But the offensive line is is really something that's going to need to be addressed. And I, and the Lions have been doing a lot of homework. And I don't think that like maybe we're while we're paying attention to it. If we look long term, I think it's it's a bigger priority even than what we've been talking about recently. Because after this season, they only retain. Uh, Graham, uh, they only retain Frank Ragnow, Panay Sewell, and Taylor Decker, and that's it. Like, they don't have any other linemen that are under contract. Now, they have some ERFAs and RFAs and stuff like that, but like, and, and we're anticipating that Jonah gets resigned, but they're going to need a starter, backups. They're going to need talent on that offensive line in order to maintain its strength. So that means investing, right? That means spending a high pick uh, on an offensive lineman potentially in, in in the first round right so uh, i'm on board with with trying to keep things you know keep a strength of strength as well as uh for 2023 as well as for the future yeah and and to to add on that you you need to stay relatively cheap at that position too when you got a Jonah extension coming up when you're already paying ta- pay, paying, paying taylor decker and frank rag now and then obviously panay sewell is going to probably cost more than everyone else in what, two, three years? So um, that's a good point. Ryan, uh, I, I want you to get in on here. Um, whether it's running back, wider, do, do you, I mean, you guys put together that mock. So obviously, I think you you have some belief in, in investing in the offense highly in this draft as well. So, um. yeah, it's just interesting. I think when Eric and I were, were doing that mock, 
finding the value in the spots that the Lions were drafting now. I mean, who knows if they'll be drafting at 6 and 18 and 48, 55 and 81. Like, th- there's definitely a chance for some some maneuvering to be done. But it just seemed like with those picks, the value kind of lined up with those offensive players, especially those skill position players, once you got on, once you got into day two. And, and, and to Eric's point, you know, keeping that, keeping the offense a strength, right? And, and that's something that Brad Holmes talked about. Um, you know, he, he talked about the owners meeting, you know, drafting, <clears throat> drafting players, not necessarily to, to fit a need, but he talked about St. Louis when it was like, you know, we just kept on drafting defensive linemen. And, you know, then, then we stumbled into Aaron Donald and what was a strength became like a mega strength and it became like a core piece of our football team. So I don't, I don't think Brad Holmes will shy away from, you know, drafting where value is um, in, in, in the draft, uh, finding that value and, and taking it regardless of the position, because I think he understands that, like, if you can overload and overwhelm a team, I mean, look what the Lions did on offense last year, right? Like maybe, maybe their, maybe their greatest defense was, was having the ball in their hands. Right. And certainly there were some teams that, that played them that way down the stretch. So I, you know, I, I think that they're just in a position where if they want to set themselves up with some contingency plans on offense, whether it's a running back, whether it's a you know wide receiver, whether it's, um, you know, even, even going offensive line, you know, like, like Eric mentioned, uh, it's all on the table or, or tight end, right? Darnell Washington. There you go. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Appreciate the question, Michael. Uh, it, it's funny. Cause I feel like if, if you had asked that question uh, a month ago, people would, would have a much different reaction about going offense early in the draft, but um, things change. You, you, you fix your needs in free agency. Like I've been saying they would. And, uh, and, and now the outlook is, is much different. But uh, let's get one more in here before we hit our first break. Uh, Nyan is with us on the show. Welcome, Nyan. Hello, guys. It's an honor to be a guest on the Don't Best show featuring Palos Detroit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So uh, there's a lot of talk about quarterback in the first round, either the top four or hooker. And although Richardson would be great, but we all agreed that although the Lions probably will draft a quarterback, it's more likely to be a, develop, a developmental one later in the draft. Uh, so, from uh, Tenor Dion, uh, what do you guys know about any of them? Because I know nothing, only names and if anything. And uh, which, which one do you like if you have a guy that oh this guy here in the fifth would be nice thank you yeah no problem uh great question Nyan, because I, I think i'm with you i i'm not yet convinced that the lions are going to go quarterback early um i certainly think it's on the table ryan so don't freak out at me um but but yeah let's let's talk about some of those uh day two day three guys that um that the lions might be targeting because they obviously need to fill out that quarterback room with just nate sudfeld behind jared goff so um, let's, let's go to you first, Eric. Who's, who, who are some guys that you like? I know they've, they've done a lot of homework on Aiden O'Connell. Is he kind of maybe the guy you're circling? Well, like he's as close to a Jared Goff clone, I think, as you're going to find, because he's big, tall, he's not super mobile, but he's, but he's accurate. Um, he's not overly exciting, but he's sufficient. Um, I, he doesn't quite have the arm that Jared does, but, uh, 
the accuracy is appealing. Um, Nyan mentioned like Tanner McKee is probably like after you get past the the, the top four and then Hooker, um, the net, McKee's probably like the next guy. And depending on who you're talking to, like his evaluation is kind of all over the map. Um, he has prototypical size. He's got a good arm. He, he had found success at Stanford before when the supporting cast around him dissipated, his game dissipated as well. Um, he doesn't look as strong as I had originally anticipated, uh, but he's a guy I think that some teams are going to fall in love with. Yeah. After McKee, then O'Connell's in that mix. Uh, then after that, you get a bunch of guys that are all like six foot, 200 and 200 pounds, right? Uh, Jake Hayner, Jaron Hall, uh, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, Stetson Bennett. They're all like the same type of frame, which is undersized, but they were good college quarterbacks asking them how they're going to transition to the NFL becomes a little bit complicated. You're projecting, right? So like for those guys, most of them are going to be like six or seventh rounders in my opinion. So like the drop off is going to be, you could have four quarterbacks go in the top 10. Then you're going to have hooker who could go anywhere from late first to late third. And then it's going to be a massive drop off to like, uh, the sixth round and maybe, maybe McKee goes a little earlier, but there's a big gap in talent there. And so outside of uh, O'Connell, the other guy they've done some homework on is, uh, is Jaron Hall, the BYU quarterback. He's a, uh, he's a good vertical thrower. Uh, he ran some RPO at BYU. So he's got some mobility. Um, that's one of the things that you're probably going to need in order to get drafted. If you're one of these late round guys is you're going to have to show some mobility, because there's a good chance that these are the guys that end up on the practice squad or, or on the scout team. Right. And you need to be able to have some range to your game in order to create value for that team. So um, Jaron Hall is a guy I like, I think Hayner is probably the one of this, of that group that has maybe the most upside uh, where he could end up turning into Something he often, I guess, I think it's compared to like the Brock Purdy of this class, right? Where he could be the guy that gets drafted in the seventh round and then ends up winning a game for you, um, even if it's accidentally. And then there's going to be, a, there's some more guys after that that, you know, are a little bit bigger. But in my mind, I don't, I think they're borderline draftable, like your, your Clayton Toons, uh, Tyson Badgett, Max Dugan. I know there's a ton of Max Dugan fans. And there's going to be a lot of people mad at me that I'm saying, like, I think he's borderline draftable, but like, I just don't, I don't, I don't think his game translates well. Terrific college quarterback, but not necessarily the, an NFL prototype guy, but you know what? He's got the grit. So maybe he ends up being like the Lions practice squad guy type of thing. So uh, they'll have some options. And, uh, but most, like I said, most of the homework has been done on guys like O'Connell and, and Hall. Ryan, are there any uh, day day three or day two sleepers that, that you like at the quarterback position? Or are you all in on just trading up and getting one? I, <laughs> see, that's bait. That's bait right there. <laughs> um, I, I'm just really intrigued to see how these things play out because, you know, the, the comment that, that Holmes made, I believe it was Holmes, right, um, about, you know, we had, we had like three guys. One of them was Nate. Those two other guys signed somewhere else. So we brought back Nate really sets it up 
for Detroit to, to take a quarterback at some point in this draft, right? Like, I think that the vast majority of everybody would be left scratching their heads if the Lions, if Lions don't walk away with, with something. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I'm totally with Eric. I, I think that his assessment of, you know, um, kind of like how the quarterbacks are tiered, uh, you know, the idea that like, Hey, there's four of them that are, you know, there's four of them that are probably going to be first rounders, uh, maybe five. Uh, if you want to, if you want to throw Hendon hooker in there, but, um, then there's like a, a smattering of like a guy here or a guy there that can go in the mid rounds. And then you're talking about a bunch of guys that like could potentially be priority UDFAs. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I guess this is another question and, and maybe we can table this and talk about it later, but like, does that elicit any confidence in, in the plan moving forward? Um, if, if the lions do just draft a developmental guy on, on day three, or, you know, they go out and they prioritize getting a UDFA and, you know, those are your three quarterbacks you're going into camp with golf Sudfeld and, you know, whatever developmental project that, you know, could, could be your backup quarterback. We'll see how things play out, but, I don't know. I don't know how much confidence that elicits. I I think it kind of just keeps the question there, you know, like it keeps the question of like, right. okay, it's kicking the can. Right. right. And, and, and I'm not saying that Jared Goff's performances haven't allowed you to, um, or afforded you the opportunity or the luxury of kicking that can because I mean, yeah, facts are facts, right? Like, I mean, he had an incredible, you know, three quarters of a season last year and you you can kick the can if you want to, but there's there's yeah. that trepidation that comes with that, right? Like there's that uneasiness that there's that. Okay, well, all right, we'll we'll see we'll see where things fall in a year from now. But I just don't I, I don't want this franchise to ever be in this position where it's like you have to get a quarterback, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's the major argument there for for people that are at least raising the question of whether it would make sense for the Lions to use this opportunity with all the draft capital they have and a runway with a, a good quarterback already in tow uh, to add a, a, a rookie quarterback. Um, the only thing I'm going to add here, because I know there's a, a subset of fans that are obsessed with this guy, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is uh, is an interesting late round uh, project. I guess I would call him five year starter though, but, uh, but under Chip Kelly, you, you're never sure how that's going to transfer into the NFL. So it feels like that would be a developmental project. That could be probably a long-term backup if, if everything works out, but, uh, but probably not a guy that you would expect to, to eventually be a guy who unseats Jared Goff. But um, we're going to, we're going to take a break now, uh, move on from the quarterback talk here, answer more of your Lions questions live here on the Spotify live app. When we come back this break, we'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on Spotify Live, continuing to answer your Lions questions here on the Spotify Live app every Saturday morning around 9 a.m., leading up to the NFL draft and probably afterwards, too. Um, let's jump right back into our callers here. Uh, Carrie is next. Thanks for joining us, Carrie. How are you doing? Make sure you unmute yourself there, Good Carrie. morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. How are you? Doing doing well. So um, I have um, I have two questions. Or um, So I guess with I can't remember. I'm almost 50 years old and I cannot remember where um, the Detroit Lions were were just been talked about so much, even from a national level. And then the, um, the, the just the local fan base has been pretty. We all been on pretty much on the same page with with the level of excitement. We all can't wait for the season. We're all kind of bought into what the new um, the new leadership is doing. I guess I don't know. If, I guess I still have a little bit of trauma over the <laughs> of being a fan. <laughs> yeah, are we are we setting ourselves up for disappointment? Because even having a successful season, man, there's so many different variables that go in there. You know, how can you keep everybody healthy? You know, just bounces of the ball, um, and then also with even with Brad Holmes, like, are we overreacting with 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 what Brad Holmes has done? Like, how he's done some really cool things over the last since he's been here. Um, but what kind of made me kind of pause a little bit is that when we re-signed um, Marvin Jones, it was like, oh, Brett Holmes does it again. And I'm like, okay, he's, you know, he's what, 32, 33 years old. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't like yeah. the Gardner um, pickup and things like that. And even, you know, even in that regards, are we even setting up um, our future draft pits and picks and putting unrealistic, extra pressure on them because they were selected by Brad Holmes, you know, particularly like the later picks, right? Like if we've taken someone in the third or fourth round Mm -hmm. because we've had some success in there, are we putting unrealistic on draft uh, expectations on that extra pressure on those, on those guys and not getting them the opportunity to really have that not being in the limelight and and flying under the radar to be, you know, to develop. And then, and the second part of it too is like, and when we talk about there's so many different, variables about having a successful season is is around Dan Campbell you know do you still hear a, a lot of things about how he mismanaged a lot of a lot of things last season and so 
you know, my, my question around both my, my questions around that is, you know, is that legitimate? Um, is there a little overreaction there? And has he has he, you know, even mentioned any of that? And will the experience just help him be a better coach, a better um, game manager? Um, going into next tax season, sure. not tax season. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah football. I do. I no, do that's... taxes. That's why I'm talking about taxes. NFL <laughs> <laughs> season. <laughs> You're good, Kerry. No, that I I love this because it, I think it taps into a lot of anxiety that a lot of us have with with success right now, right? And and success is obviously relative, but uh, it I, I always I always bring it back to to the Dan Miller quote. Like we have to start getting uh, comfortable being uncomfortable and and having increased expectations for this team, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a fair question to ask if we're setting ourselves up for a little bit of an emotional disappointment here. Um, and, and I think you brought up some good points, right? Like an injury can derail an entire season. That's just how the NFL works, unfortunately. And so nothing is guaranteed. And, and I like the attitude that the coaching staff is taking where it's like, yeah, the, the standard remains the same. The expectations increase, but the standard, like how us putting in the work is not going to change. We're not going to rest on our laurels because all of a sudden, you know, Vegas says we're the favorite. Um, but, but I, I, I keep going back to the fact that let's, you know, lines optimism is an annual tradition, right? Um, and, and even having some national attention feels like sometimes like, it, especially recently, it feels like it, it, it's starting to become more commonplace and the results just haven't followed. But the thing that just, it, I mean, it's unique this year. It, it's undeniably unique. This, the fact that the lines have the highest win total in their division for the first time in 30 years. That's unique. For I mean, the fact that they're this high of favorites in the division is unique. We we haven't seen that in the past 20, 25 years where we've had this offseason optimism. So on that end, it certainly feels different to me. Um, but but I, let's I, I want to talk maybe a little bit more about like the Brad Holmes perception and the Dan Campbell perception that you brought up. And, and I'll let one of you guys kind of start us off there. Whether whether you want to talk about maybe Brad Holmes maybe being a little bit overhyped or Dan Campbell's on field you know, game management being a concern. Where, where do you guys stand with that? Well, let me point out the fact that I think Carrie asked the most Jeremy Reisman related question ever. <laughs> like he, he, that was, that was as much in your wheelhouse as any question yeah. I think I've ever heard. Um, that was well done. He brought up, Carrie brought up a lot of good points. Look, here's the thing for me. The, a flip, a, a, a switch flipped, right? Last year, right? I went into that Packers game with the mindset of if you want to change perspectives, you have to win that game. And I, and I, and I had the confidence that they would win that game and they did it and they did it in convincing fashion. So for me, my Kool Aid supply quadrupled. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll back up my car and I will douse Kool-Aid out for anybody who wants to, to come enjoy it because I, I am not fearful of this team having a, a backwards regression. You know what I mean? Like there, if you, I, I'm not mad at anybody who, who, who feels that way. And I totally get it because there's a history there, but there is a difference between this team and this culture and what, this this organization is bringing to the table than what we've seen in the past. And, but but really really quick, not only that, like, can you even come up with a logical argument that that this team is due for regression at all? Like, they were one of the more injured teams last year. They're incredibly young team, so the young yeah. players should get better. They got a ton of offseason resources. Like, there's no reason this team should regress. They had one of the difficult, most difficult schedules last year. Like, everything points to this team 
being better than a nine and eight team. You didn't even use your first round pick at 12. You know what I mean? Like you're adding another first round receiver to the mix on top of all of this. Right. So, okay. Let me get back on my uh, soapbox here. Uh, I am. I, I think uh, Marvin was brought in for this culture reason, right? Like this is like, that's, that's what I love about the Marvin signing. If Marvin's going to come in, he might be wide receiver four. You know what I mean? At times he might be five at times he might be three, but Marvin is a culture mindset guy. It's the same thing. The same, one of the same reasons I love, love the Graham signing. This is a veteran guy with the right mindset, who is a awesome locker room contributor. Who's go, who may not start, probably won't start. Neither one of them might not start yet. They are integral pieces in order to creating a foundation of success. And so that's why, and these are, these are guys that were, committed to the city you 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 they went through hard times with detroit and you want them to find you want them to see success with the lions and so getting them back in when the lions are hitting their stride that's what i love about those signings is that you are rewarding these guys who went through the hard times and and they should be they should be able to come back and reap the benefits because they're both excellent people now as far as expectations with homes yeah until he misses I don't think Holmes is good. Uh, you have to just assume he's not going to miss. And is that unfair on the rookies? Sure. It, it, absolutely unfair, but it doesn't matter because the rookies that he picks, they, they seem to hit, right? Like there is a method and a mat to a, his madness. And he goes and he picks guys that are going to fit in with the team. He understands the process. The, you know why the Rams were so successful for so long? Because they hit on mid-round guys, right? And who was the architect of helping them hit on those mid-round guys? It was Holmes. He's the one that set them up. Holmes left. How are they doing on their mid-round picks now, right? This is Holmes' sweet spot. This is what he's been doing for 18 years. He's been prepping guys, finding guys to help build a core of a team. And then he gives Dan Campbell the, the, the ingredients and he lets them cook. Now, Campbell... He's going to make mistakes because he's still a new cook, okay? But the encouraging thing for me is that he made less mistakes last year than he did the year before. And you would hope, and you have to hope that that trend will continue. You saw the same thing with Aaron Glenn. You saw him make less mistakes last year than he did the year before. They are young coaches who are progressing in the in the in the in the proper manner. Is it nice to have a Ben Johnson who can just walk in and walk on water? Absolutely. But that's not how it always works. And so getting guys like the scene of forward progression is exactly what you're hoping for from, from Dan Campbell. So I expect Dan Campbell to make mistakes, but I expect him to make less mistakes than he made before. The same thing with Aaron Glenn and the same thing with, with, with Ben Johnson. So as the coaching staff progresses, as they get better, and then you add more talent, and you know that that talent's going to hit because they come from Brad Holmes, the, the arrow is up and the Kool-Aid is Jesus, you just cut a wrestling promo. Uh, before, before I throw it to, to Ryan, uh, to all the people at home screaming, Levi owns Enrique and, and uh, uh, if he, if, if he it's worth pointing them out. Um, he's not, he, he's not perfect. Uh, there are potential misses on his resume, but I think overall your, your point is very sound. Like by, by all means, Brad Holmes has proven himself to be an elite, college scouter i mean that there's, there's really no other way to put it and i know we're only two years in and that's a relatively small sample size but like you said the sample size goes way back in la and it's pretty darn good over there as well uh maybe greg robinson aside but uh but ryan um let me throw it to you uh i i, I mean you can take this conversation anywhere there were a lot of questions in there so what, what do you what do you feel like you need to add here well well one thing if i can be the wet blanket for for a moment yes. i love eric's promo 
okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I want to be with it. Here's the one area where Detroit can regress. Turnovers. Jared Goff and his ability to limit turnovers was kind of exceptional, right? Like, and, and he needed to be that way because the Lions defense couldn't afford to be put in a tough spot um, in terms of field position and things like that. When the Lions turned the ball over, I mean, you look at games like Dallas, you look at games like that's, that's probably the reason why you ended up losing the Buffalo game. Um, you know, Jared Goff has a propensity for turnovers last year. If you want to say that, hey, maybe he's cleaned a lot of that up in his game. Maybe he can be that careful with the football. Yeah, okay, I, I, I can buy that. But at the same time, like if, if you're looking for an area where there might be a, a regression, maybe Jared Goff turns the ball over a few more times next year. Now that's not saying that, hey, maybe the defense improves and, and maybe they end up generating more turnovers. Fair point. But just, just an entry point into the discussion of, hey, where can the Lions regress? I think one of the big ones is, well, Jared Goff needs to stay this very, very um, you know, protective quarterback of the football. Um, so I, I think that's one area to point out. I, I wanted to reset Kerry's first question about Brad Holmes and in terms of like rookie expectations and things like that. Um, it, again, I, th- I think this is a very uncomfortable spot for Lions fans. Um, I talked about this in an article that I had go up the other day um, in terms of how for so long the Lions have been drafting for need. Uh, they've been drafting for need with, you know, Jeff Okuda when, you know, Darius Slay gets chased out of town by Matt Patricia. Uh, they're drafting TJ Hawkinson in 2019 because Eric Ebron, who was drafted in 2014, didn't work, and they needed a new tight end. Um, like, a lot of these guys, Jared Davis in 2017, the Lions are, you know, they're way past the days of DeAndre Levy and Stephen Tullock. Um, and, and they're and – they're, at that point, they're drafting to, to fill need, and those rookies come in with a heap of expectations upon them. I, I, I don't think Brad Holmes has really drafted anybody and said, like, man, like, there's so, there's so many, just because these first two years have been, whether he wanted to admit it or not, they were a rebuild. And he had the opportunity to, to draft basically anybody at any position because this roster was so devoid of top tier talent. It was devoid of depth. He had an opportunity to cook and he has right. And, and and that's the thing that's most exciting is that for this draft that the lions are about to go into, there are some players that are going to be drafted that aren't going to play as much as rookies have in the past for the Detroit lions. And I, I think when you can onboard players at positions like that, you know, the, the Marvin Jones signing is a perfect example of it. The Lions, Lions are going to need an X receiver at some point, um, probably next season, right? I mean, like, we'll, we'll see where the chips may fall, but, like, is Josh Reynolds part of the future plans? Is, is Marvin Jones at 33 years old, is, is he going to be part of the future plans? Um, well, if not, they can draft somebody this year. Let that player, you know, mature. Let that player develop. And then next year you hit the ground running. Um, I, I, I think it's just such a fascinating spot that Brad Holmes has, has put this team into, but he's done it through being very shrewd in the draft and, and, and this free agency, which was, you know, a, a big surprise to all of us, right? Like this free yeah. agency was, was, was kind of, this is where he, Brad Holmes is putting his foot on the gas pedal and, and saying like, okay, now it's time to go. Right. And I, I love the point you made because I think there is, a, there, there are a lot of people who think because 
the gas is now on and expectations are high and, and, you know, this team could make a really deep run this year. They need to get guys in this draft who are going to, exactly. going to push them over right. the top. Like pick six and 18 need to play day one. Right. And that's just not the right way to think about the draft. And it's so an unrealistic way to think about the draft. Like your number six pick, sure. They could have a big impact in, in year one and probably should. But in general, rookies don't. Rookies aren't the guys that push you over the top to win a championship. They are guys that you build for the future. And so the way I put it in, in one of my articles today that I'm not sure is even up yet, but the way I put it is what's best for this franchise right now in this draft might not be what's best for 2023. And you have to, you have to start getting comfortable with that because that's what the draft is for. I mean, you have to protect yourselves in 2024 in 2025 and 2026 because Brad Holmes and, and Dan have said it forever. They are not looking to make a run. They are looking to stay an elite team. And if, if that means drafting a guy who's not going to start or play much at, at 18, then they're going to do it. And you got to get comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I do agree with you guys. And I think you make an excellent point on the fact that this draft class is going to be unlike the last two because there was, there's, there's not as much opportunity to, to, to uh, find the field and make plays, right? Um, as Ryan pointed out, there was a lot, there were, this roster was devoid of talent two years ago. So there was an opportunity for a Malcolm Rodriguez to step onto the field and shine and earn a starting job. It's a lot harder uh, moving forward. And so we may look at this draft class, you know, six months from now and say, man, this draft class wasn't as good as the previous draft classes, the first two. But at the same time, a year from now, five of the guys that he drafted this year could be starting and it could give us a completely different perspective again. So I do think the, the way that they've built the roster, the free agency that they have, that this draft class may not have the same results that we've seen, the immediate results that we've seen. But I, I do think the long-term opportunity will be there. But like you guys said, it's, 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 this is, seems like it's going to be more about 2024 uh, it, so, so what we're what we're saying, everybody, is we're preparing you to read a bunch of post draft grade articles from people who give the Lions like C's and B's because they don't address the needs that everybody perceives they have. Right? Like, there are so many people who are like, "Oh, the Lions are going to draft a tight end in the first round." It's like, why? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's close that discussion. Although the one thing I want to say, going back to the Dan Campbell discussion is that I think we easily forget how much he helped the Lions with some of his decision-making, particularly on fourth down. Um, and every coach grades out horribly according to their fan base when it comes to on-field yeah. decision. Exactly. So. How, how, how bad are some other coaches? Right. Yeah. So in general, I would think Dan Campbell does more good than bad. Although, you know, some of these late game, I would say significant gaffes that he's made. Uh, he's going to have to clean up, but, uh, but like Aaron had said a, a while ago, um, he's shown that he has the ability to clean things up. So I'm not too concerned there. Um, that was a long-winded answer, but I love that discussion. So let's uh, move on. All right, next up on the call is Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. How you doing? I am good. Thank you. Um, I'll continue Eric's theme of Kool-Aid drinking. I have a Kool-Aid-laden would-you-rather for you guys um, <laughs> with right. young Lions players. So 
Would you rather James Houston and Aiden Hutchinson combine for 30 sacks? Let's say 16 and 14, um, ton of QB hits. They get a nickname on the national scene. Or Amon Ra and JMO combine for 2,700 yards, let's say 1,400 and 1,300 yards, um, and eight and seven <laughs> touchdowns. You can answer either just based on what you personally would rather see based on the players um, or which which option you think would help the Lions get to more wins or help us be a better team. Um, and if you pick the defensive duo, then the offensive duo just kind of has an average to non-notable year and, and likewise with the other way around. Oh, man, that is... That is some question there. <laughs> I, I don't even know where I'm going to go with it, so I'm going to have to pass one of this to, to to you guys. But man, I think obviously either one of those situations is is almost a dream scenario for for either side of the ball. But uh, but let's go let's go to Eric first. What what do you want? You want the the wide receiver duo of a lifetime, or or just sacks on sacks on sacks? Yeah, I I think I'd rather have the offensive production uh, because. I still think that this team is in a spot where they're just going to need to straight out score people. Um, and so if you can give me, if you can tell me that those two are going to, you know, go over a thousand each, then you're pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, especially, you know, if you can add 15 touchdowns on on top of that as well, I, I think that would be ideal. Um, sack numbers are great. Um, but they can often be misleading, I think. And, and while they're a ton of fun, uh, I'm, I, I think there's, there's more, there's more ways to win on defense than, than just with sack. So I would go with the, the offensive production because I think that's just, that's the most entertaining. And that I do think that that's something they're going to need in order to be successful. Brian, you agree or disagree? Oh man, I want I want Hutchinson and Houston to have a name. I want them to have a nickname for their duo. I think that's the only reason why I'm choosing the defense. Um, but just for reference, the Lions had 39 sacks last year. If they got 30 sacks out of Hutchinson and Houston, my goodness, what has happened to the defense? <laughs> like, I, I mean, if you're, I agree with Eric. Like, I mean, they're a fluky stat. I mean, maybe you get sacks in garbage time. You know so on and so forth. I think that the offensive numbers for Amon Ra and St. Brown or Amon Ra St. Brown and, and Jameson Williams, like those would be incredible. And those would be much more indicative of probably a football team that like Eric said, needs to still outscore its opponents to, to win football games, um, which is maybe the most John Madden thing I've said. Um, but I, I mean, just if, if the defense and, and, and uh, Alex posted this as our, as our, uh, our sites question of the day on Saturday is like, like, where do you think this, like, defense can rank? Um, I mean, God, if, if they can just get in, like, that top 10, maybe even top 12. If they can sneak into the top 12 and be consistent over the course of the year, which 30 sacks I think would be kind of indicative of um, maybe some of that ability to get after the quarterback and, and be disruptive and, and help your team get to that point, especially with the additions that they made at cornerback and, and, and beefing up their defensive secondary, like, uh Super Bowl baby. Super Bowl. This this is so tough for me because I've always I've always kind of dreamed of having those really strong defensive teams and we saw 
flashes of it, not even flashes of it. It was a really good defensive team in 2014. And we all look at that team as one of the best we've seen the Lions have. And so part of me wants to answer defense here because, I mean, not only are those two then, you know, dominating the league, but you've got two young pieces at critical positions in football. If, if those two really hit it off next year. And I mean, they really hit it off last year too. And, and we saw the turnaround in the second half of the season. And, and a lot, I, I think it's lost on a lot of people that the reason that the Lions went on that eight and two stretch, yeah, their offense remained good. But the reason why they really turned the corner was because their defense started to make plays. And so that is so critical to like, like Ryan was just outlining, like if they can just get to top third in the league, this is a playoff and very, very dangerous team. That said, I don't know if there's anyone on the team that has more to prove in 2024 or 2023 than Jameson Williams, right? And so if he blows up next year, we, we can stop with all the, the weird underlying hatred of him or, or concern about him. And listen, you, there's right to be some concern, right? Like he hasn't proven anything. He was a huge investment in this team. And, and even though there weren't a lot of 2022 expectations for him because of the injury, he still needs to go out there and prove that it was the right move for Brad Holmes. So ultimately, I think I'm going to pick the wide receivers just because I want to make sure that everyone sees that Jamison Williams is a ridiculous talent that, that Brad Holmes saw in him. And I want to just see him blow up because, it, and, and there's a fun factor too, that, that Eric kind of briefly mentioned there, like Jamo just blowing up the league would be extremely fun to see. We, we haven't really seen that dangerous of a wide receiver weapon in Detroit since Calvin Johnson. And so if he can do Calvin Johnson thing, like remember how fun it was just to see Calvin Johnson every week. Very, very fun. Very, very fun. So I think I'm, I think I'm going to make it three, and zero here and, and pick the, the offense, but I wouldn't be mad at either. No, I think, I think the defense. Oh, you did pick the defense. I did. It went back and forth there. Okay, I'm sorry. I did. Uh, sorry. I, I thought if anybody would be able to identify some some fence sitting, it'd be, it'd be you. Well, yeah, I did, and that's I just okay. Insult take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for the hypothetical question there, Daniel. I like I like those kind of questions. It was a very fun discussion there. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to Caden. Caden, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, just getting ready to go to work. But uh, I was able to sneak in. You guys kind of start a little bit earlier than me. Uh, I'm over in California. So little... uh, so you're waking up with us. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my last my question last week was uh, more on the offensive side with Darnell and Darnell kind of question um my uh my one today is more based on the defense and especially um focused on the defensive line my question is more based on and i i'll know eric's probably leaning would you guys prefer getting that future cornerback um at six, whether it's Devon Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez, and at eighteen, getting a guy like Kalijah Cansey or the the almost forgotten Brian Brise, or taking that risk on Jalen Carter at six and getting hoping to get someone like 
Deontay Banks are hoping someone like Joey Porter slips to 18. Um, mostly because I think Brise has kind of gone like he has fallen further than anyone based on his tape. But when you look back at what he went through throughout this entire season and he played as much as he could, not saying like he doesn't have bad tape because he does, but I feel like if what, like say Jalen Carter, if he went through what Brian Brise went through, he would have put up bad tape too. So I just feel like Brise has fallen way further than he should based on, you know, the if we're holding everyone to the same standards of each other. Yeah, let uh, let me let me tackle let's tackle the first part of that question whether like if let's say the lines are going defensive tack, defensive lineman and then and then corner. Um what is the best order for those two because I think it's a question of one maybe your resolve in who's going in that guy that you pick at 6 versus playing the strengths of the draft at each position. And and since you two Eric and, and Ryan did a a, a mock where you kind of had to to weigh those needs, um I'm curious as your thoughts on it. And and I'll start with you Ryan. Um, what, what do you think? I, I guess that's, that's the question. Like, would you rather just get the guy that you're more sure of at six or are you, are you playing the game there of like, well, there's, there, you know, let's pass on Witherspoon cause there's probably going to be a good corner available at 18. Yeah. This is where the draft gets fascinating to me, right? Is that you have a guy like Jalen Carter who would absolutely just fit in, like a glove to that defense, right? Like if you want to talk about where the Lions have needs, it's undoubtedly their number one need to me is a, a defensive lineman specifically, um, you know, regardless of what you want to do with a lean, like just get a dude who can generate pressure in the middle. I mean, they, they, they like Isaiah bugs for that reason. Um, you draft Jalen Carter, you, you have a really, really interesting group of guys that you can rotate right with bugs and Aleem and Jalen Carter. I I, I want to kick it to Eric though, because I think what was most interesting and what we noticed about our draft, Eric, is that if you take a cornerback at six, or even if the lions want to slide back a little bit and take a corner, the value is really there are a lot of cornerbacks in this draft. Like it, it, it's deep and there's some, there's some good talent at the top. So it almost seems like you, you want to maybe kick the can on that. And, and Deontay Banks does seem like a, you know, an interesting player. Um, you know, Joey Porter jr. As Caden mentioned as well. So I, I don't know, like, I, I think that was probably the, the one thing that as Eric and I reflected on our mock draft, it, it was that, you know, towing of the line between like, okay, need, versus value and, and where that kind of lines up in, in the first round. Yeah. For, for me, if it comes down to, to two things, right? If you're just looking at talent, I think Carter is the best defensive talent in this class. And so if you're asking me if Carter and Witherspoon are both on the board, who are you taking? I'm taking Carter. I think he's the better player. Now I'm as big of a Witherspoon, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, I'm as big of a Witherspoon fan as you might find, but I still think Carter is the better player. Then if you start looking at value in this class, the gap between Carter 
and and, and Brise and and Cancy is almost a full round yeah. in, in yep. difference between the between the two. Whereas at a corner, you're talking about a couple of guys that are worth the top ten picks, a couple of guys that are worth picks in the twenties, a couple of guys that are worth picks in the in, like you might have six guys five, six corners that are, that have, are going to end up with like first round grades. So I think from a, if you're looking at corner, the gaps between the different players isn't as big as it is a defensive tackle. So I would rather have a Carter banks combination than Witherspoon and any defensive tackle that you, that oh, that's not named Jalen Carter because I think the value is there from a positional standpoint. I think the value is there from a player standpoint, and I think you end up getting guys that can contribute um, it, it more immediately in, in the Carter corner combo. But, but I mean, let's take Carter off the board because. One, I mean, I think that's just a difficult separate conversation to have. But let's say Carter's off the board already, goes to Seattle. Then, then how does that factor in? Like how? Well, that could, it changes things completely. Then, right. it, it, I mean, it eliminates Caden's question almost altogether because the whole point of Caden's question was if Carter's there. If Carter's not there, there's not a defensive tackle that's worth number six. So and, not, yet, well, well he was talking corner. Brisset though. Like let, let's let's bring Brisset into the conversation because. He makes a good point okay. about Brissette. I, th- I think maybe he is getting a, a little bit unfairly dropped because of, I don't know, because Kalijah Kansi dominates the, the, the combine and, and all that sort of stuff. Is is he completely out of the mm-hmm. question for you at six? Yeah, at six. I, yeah, I, I, I okay. don't think he's there at six. I think he's, I think there's question. Like if you consider taking him at, at 18 and you went with, like if you're asking me, Witherspoon and, and, and Brise versus Carter and Banks. I'm still taking Carter and Banks because I think you get better players and better value. Um, I, I I don't. I think it's Carter, and then it's a massive gap between the next defensive tackle. Okay, fair enough. All right, uh, let's go to a break here. When we come back, we're going to answer more of your lines questions as we enter segment three of our Spotify Live session here on the Pride Detroit Podcast Network. We will be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're closing things up here out on the Spotify Live Saturday morning call-in show uh, edition. Uh, let's jump right back into our callers here. Uh, we're going to kick things off. We have Ross on the line. Welcome, Ross. Thank you for waiting so long. Yeah, thanks for taking my question. Uh, I wanted to change gears a little bit. And it seems like uh, from the national media perspective, the Lions have had quite the offseason. 
And Brad Holmes has shouted out quite a few of his lieutenants um, with the pro- that process. And I think even Mike Disner answered some of Rod Wood's questions at the owners meeting this week. So my question really is, do you think we should be as concerned about losing front office staff as we are about losing Ben Johnson and some of the other uh, assistants? Interesting question, Ross. Um, yeah, I mean, the Lions did lose uh, one of their pieces this offseason. Dave but, Sears. Uh, it's, Dave Sears, that's right. Um, and it's certainly um, reasonable to wonder if the Lions continue to build as, as quickly as they are. I mean, it, it's just crazy to think about where this roster was two years ago um, that, that some other guys will get poached. And, and some of that is normal. Like some turnaround is just normal. And, um, you know, I think every year you see some scouts go somewhere and, and things like that. Um, but I, yeah, let me throw it back to you, Eric. Is is there, I guess, is there maybe an individual or, or a couple individuals that you're concerned about this this franchise maybe losing? Um, you know, Ray Agno obviously on the on the pro personnel side. Or wait, no, he got he got a promoted, right? Agnew, Agnew? Am, am I miss? I don't know. Agnew's the still uh, assistant to you. Okay, so yeah, right. I don't want to, he was pro at, at LA. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was on the pro side in LA. He's he's the assistant GM. So yes, and, and he there were rumors this past offseason that he was in consideration for uh some general manager spots. And I don't think he interviewed, but I think his name is starting to creep up on some lists, right? And so yeah, so you do have to you you do have to have some sort of long-term plan, right? But I, I also believe that they've been making that long-term plan. Now losing Dave Sears, Dave Sears was became the assistant general manager for Arizona. And Sears was the Lions director of, of uh, college scouting. So he had the same job that Brad Holmes had in L.A. And so he got moved to the assistant general manager spot in, in uh, Arizona. And Sears will be on the short list, uh, I'm sure, in the future to be a, to be a general manager as well. Um, but I but I do think the Lions have been preparing for this. Like this is part of um, Holmes kind of, again, uh, long term plans is to put multi-layered put people into into positions um for example he he had the majority of his positions filled out two years ago and then after the draft season two years ago he added a scout named mike martin uh mike martin was just an area scout with with the with the panthers uh but they brought him over and made him the director of scouting advancement and he is a guy who was considered like an up and comer. So they've got him in position now where he's in, he can make uh, an upward move and he can fill a role. And so they've been adding these like kind of layered guys uh, into the front office. And in, and in addition to just adding these guys, they cross train them so that they are working in multiple departments so that if you do end up losing a guy like Sears, you can promote Ryan Hudspeth, who is the, the assistant director of college scouting, but you also have this cross coverage with a guy like Mike Martin so that losing Sears isn't completely detrimental to the organizational foundation in the front office. So you've still got guys like Dorsey who are overseeing certain areas, multiple areas. You have a guy like Spielman who's contributing in there. Plus you have a whole slew of these other front office guys that do multiple things in multiple areas so that you can sustain departures. And look, I think Disner is a guy that like a lot of people would be worried about losing because Disner has become kind of the maybe next Rod Wood type of guy. Right. Uh, 
and so if he ends up shifting more towards the uh, marketing side of the business, well, they 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 added Sosna uh, in order to 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 help out on, on the football side, and Sosna has been one of the chief negotiators. So, and they did that last offseason. So, like, what you end up seeing Brad Holmes doing is layering talented front office people. So they're in positions where they can afford to have guys promoted to other organizations and still just open up opportunities for, for adding new talent. It's in a lot of ways, like what, what Dan Campbell is doing on the, on, on the coaching staff, right? They're putting people in position to where if someone exits, they can promote within and then create a new opportunity. And those new opportunities will create appeal to other uh, individuals throughout the league. Yeah. The, the only thing I have to add is like, I get the feeling that Disner is so adored in this franchise and he's such an integral piece to, to what they're doing that I'm not sure they're going to let him go. Like I, yeah. And he's from the, area. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also worth noting that, that Sosna did get a shout out from Brad Holmes this week during the owners meetings of how integral he was to all of the contract negotiations and, and adjustments and all sort of stuff. So, um, you know, if, if, I think you laid it out perfectly. If they somehow lose Disney, which again, I don't think they do. I think he's right where he wants to be. And, and, you know, he could always have higher career expect aspirations, but he's in a pretty comfy spot right now. And I think the team loves him enough where, you know, behind the scenes, they might be giving him raises and raises and raises to keep him. Um, well, he has, he has then, been getting promotions, right? Yeah. Like he true. has yeah. been, he's been getting <laughs> yep. promotions and title. He, he was part of the, uh, the, the hiring search for coach and GM. Like, they have been pushing. Yeah. I, I really think he is just waiting for Rod Wood. Yeah, maybe. And, and, and remember like that, that picture that, that went kind of viral um, of everyone signing, you know, this is our plan for building the franchise. These are the tenants of where we are. Disner's signature is there. Like that's how important he is to, to building the team. The only other thing I wanted to say is, you know, it's worth pointing out that if Ray Agnew does get a general manager job, uh, the Lions are in line for a, comp- a compensatory pick there. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think you laid out everything perfectly. Um, anything you want to add, Ryan, before we move to the next question? Uh, Ross mentioned this, you know, or he framed the question as like, would you be like more concerned about them losing somebody in the front office than you would losing Ben Johnson? And if Ben Johnson wasn't the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions today, we would have a lot of questions. We would have a lot of concerns specifically about sure. the, the thing that we've been talking about uh, in, in this segment and this shared cough, like without Ben, without Ben Johnson, there, there would be like, no, there'd be no level of security or comfortability with Jared Goff as a starting quarterback for me. So. Yeah. I still maintain that was probably the, the biggest off season move that they've made. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of reason why they're throwing money at him. Hey, hey, we'll give you more. We'll give you more. Right. Like, (laughs) right. And and that's, that's the one area too, though. Like you guys said, like, Hey, there's, there's, you know, in the front office, there's, there's wiggle room. We can make you in charge of this or give you a promotion or give you a race. Like you can't really do anything else with Ben Johnson. Like the next step is for him to be a head coach. Yeah. Just give him head coach money. (laughs) Why not? Unload the, the vault, Sheila. All right, uh, let's move to our next question. Thanks, Ross, for for the good conversation there about the front office. We got time for one more, and I bet you at home thought we were going to forget this man. But no, Dan Pask is here to close us out. Bringing in the closer, Dan. How we doing, man? 
Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Can you hear me? All right. Yep, you're good. Okay, cool. Because I kind of feel like I felt like a little bit of a troublemaker. Now, like, like you walk into an elevator and you kind of go, you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> I had this question and I wanted to see if it would hold. You know, April Fools and everything else. But it's just, it's a, a, a serious question and it's kind of. I listened to the Mina Kimes show and ironically enough, she wasn't, she felt that there were more holes in our, in our roster than she did last, than I remember her saying last year. And it's, and it was a, a term that her and her co, uh, whatever, co-person said, placeholder. And I, I, when we were talking before, we were talking about bridges and stuff like that, but placeholder might be a more pertinent term. And I guess my question is this, out of the guys that we signed, how many do we think are placeholders and how many do we think are going to stay? And then uh, a quick follow-up question for you, Jeremy. I know it's a bit wrong, but like, cause I know people haven't heard the Brandon Lee Gowton's, uh, podcast unless they're, you know, on Twitch, which I would highly recommend. Um, the, I want, I want to imagine like if somebody asked, if you asked yourself, but you were a Saints beat writer about Jamal, how you would uh, how you would answer that question about him because it feels like CJ and 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 uh, Jamal are sort of mirror images of each other and um gosh I am so sorry Jared you know what I mean like it feels like Brad is not scared to say listen this is what we got you don't want to if you, if you want more somewhere else go ahead and get it I kind of feel that Jared could do a Brady and just not cripple us do you know what I mean he's got a lot of money he's he's got a system that wants to work for him even if Ben goes and Carl one last thing Dan in his annual meeting when he, there's somebody interrupted there and, he, and they asked him about this uh, player who finished out or whatever finished out his career at the Saints while he was still there who became a coach who he highly recommended Jay Spears or Spears or something like that I think Dan knows a hell of a lot of people and I think they're very inventive and I'm not scared at all, but hopefully that wasn't too long for Chris. Love you, mate. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, buddy. Um, let's start. Okay. Let's start with the free agency additions. Who's a placeholder. Who's not a placeholder. I'm going to run down the names really quick. Cam Sutton. Uh, I think we can probably say safely, not uh, just a placeholder signed a three-year deal. Emmanuel Mosley though, uh, CJ Gardner, Johnson, Graham Glasgow, uh, Marvin Jones, how how many of those guys, David Montgomery, I guess you can throw in there, although he signed a three-year deal as well. How many of those do you guys feel like are just placeholders versus guys that are maybe going to be in line for uh, an extension here long-term after uh, this year? Well, I, I think it's the way this organization is built and the way Dean Campbell has reacted and the way Brad Holmes has reacted. It, it, it's all meritocracy, right? Like it's, it's if you play and you earn yourself a contract, then we're going to reward you with that contract. We, we, we saw it with Josh Reynolds. We saw it with uh, Colleen Freeman, right? We, we've seen it with a few other guys that if, if you come in and you play well, then you, we're going to reward you with, with the new contract. And, you know, Mosley and Gardner Johnson probably only signed one year deals because they think they can make more money in the future. Right. But the market this year said, this is what you're worth. And so would the Lions have liked to have signed them to long-term? Maybe, you know, it's hard to tell. It's uh, maybe the Lions were the ones initiating the, you know, the, the single year contracts. It, it's, it's really kind of up in the air, but regardless of how we got to this point, what the Lions are looking at is they have a handful of guys that they just signed to like one-year contracts. And so it's very possible that they could be placeholders or, or it's possible that they are going to put themselves in line to, to get contract extensions. Brad Holmes has 
you know, not, I guess, solidified his, you know, uh, any of these guys for the long term outside of Sutton. And again, like, like Jeremy said, maybe Montgomery uh, contractually, but you have a big period of time where you get an opportunity to work with these guys on new contracts before free agency hits. So you've brought guys in on one year deals. You're asking them to prove it. And then you get an opportunity before everybody else to try and get, put them in a long-term situation. So it gives the Lions a lot of power long-term. So they're in a nice spot where they can make decisions on where their roster is going. Yet they're not married to a, a, too many guys outside of the guys that they've either handpicked, right? So there, so I don't know if there's a clean answer to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I just think based on what the money says and based on how their contracts are structured is they're still going to be making decisions next year. Um, and a lot of it will be determined based on their uh, individual's uh, performances. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they put themselves in a, in a good position. If they perform well, you're going to have the first crack at them or – you, you play the compensatory pick game and, and you, and this is why you, you draft for the future, right? So if you draft a future cornerback, losing a guy like Emmanuel Mosley, if he balls out and then is asking, you know, for 10, 11, 12 million a year next year. And you're like, ah, that's a little rich. You have a guy waiting there ready to, to pick him up. So I think they've set themselves up where they can start building contingency plans immediately for some of these guys because of all the wiggle room they have in the draft as well. Um, anything to add on that, Ryan, or do we want to move on to, to the next of, uh, I think a three-part question there. No, I, the only thing I want to say is, you know, what Eric said, it's really hard to answer this question. So um, I, I think it becomes a lot easier to answer that question after the draft happens. True. Um, the, the second part, I think, is, is comparing the Jamal and C.J. Gardner-Johnson, um, the, the, I guess the, the negotiations that took place. And, um, again, um, to, to kind of give you a, a quick recap of what Brandon Lee Gowden said, on our podcast that hasn't quite dropped on the podcast feed yet is um, it was a good move for the Eagles to let him go um, and not sign him to a mega deal. Um, but it was also a good move for the Lions to be able to lock him up at one year, six and a half million or whatever it was. So would I give the same answer to a Saints fan asking Jim, about Jamal? And I think the answer is yes. Like I would feel very similarly. Um, you know, there are reports that the Jamal may have been offered up you know, five, five and a half million in Detroit, I wouldn't have been thrilled with that contract. And anything above that, I certainly wouldn't have been thrilled with. So yeah, I think I think if that if those were the terms that, that Jamal turned down or or wanted more from, the Lions are right to move on from that. But also getting him at three years for 12 million, I think that's completely fair value. I think that's a decent deal for the Saints. So yeah, and I think in, in the same way, I think the Lions were probably right not to budge from from their final offer, whatever it was from Jamal. But I think the Saints got pretty good value in, in what Jamal got. And so in, in, in that essence, it's it's a win-win for both sides. Do you guys agree with that? We'll go to, to you, Ryan. I do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think I could really add anything to it. I think you hit the nail on the head. So, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. You feel the same, Eric? Yeah, no notes. No notes. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the last one, I think it had something to do with Dan Campbell. It was um, uh, Dan Campbell and his connections, right, Dan? Exactly. 
I said it's okay, here, here, someone, someone, I'll, I'll answer it. So, <laughs> so I speak Dan. Um, <laughs> what this was one of the uh, this was one of the selling points of Dan Campbell when he got hired was that he has connections and he knows a ton of people. And so, uh, the first thing that we were told was Dan Campbell is going to amass a brilliant staff because he is connected to a lot of people and he's going to be able to just maintain that level of staff as the years progress. And so I, I think, I think that's a hundred percent true. And the way that he connects, like it, just think about like all the, all the different head coaches that he knows. And then like, he's, we're going to, you're going to see, uh, we're going to get to see um, uh, training camp with the giants this year. Right. That's because he has a history with, with uh, Dable going back to Miami days. Right. Like, he knows a wild amount of head coaches in this league. He knows he talks to them. He's going to find out whose assistants are or guys are there up and coming. He's got his own uh, Rolodex of, of players out there or, or coaches out there as well. Like he is very much plugged into a lot of different ways. And so if guys do move on, you, you see that he's just been able to just, you know, reload with it with another highly talented coach, right? Look at Scotty Montgomery, right? Deuce leaves. And then they're like, well, let's see. Oh, well, we can go get, we can get Scotty Montgomery uh, from, from the Colts. Who's got um, OC aspirations. And as a guy who's been, you know, uh, interviewing for offensive coordinator positions, yet the lions are able to retain, get him and bring him in as a, as a running backs coach. So I think he's shown his connections and I don't think we really understand the depth of the pool for, uh, you know, what uh, Dan Campbell, of who at Dan Campbell actually knows. The the only thing I, I, I want to add to this discussion really quick, and this is, again, teasing a podcast that hasn't been released yet. Uh, we talked to Matt Mayoko about Manuel Mosley um, yesterday, Friday uh, afternoon, and um, it, it speaks to his reach, I think, beyond just coaching staffs, because the one thing Mayoko said is like, he was certain Mosley was going to go to someone who already knew him because he felt that Mosley was kind of like the best kept secret in, in San Francisco. Not a lot of people knew about how, not only how good of a player is, but how good of a person he is and all that sort of stuff. So he expected him either to go with D'Amico Ryans to the Texans or to someone who had coached him, um, especially at the value the Lions got him. And again, a one year, $6 million deal. He expected um, someone else to kind of know about him enough to pay him at least that. And so maybe your connections beyond, and, and obviously this goes into the, the, the personnel department as well. They, they deserve a ton of credit for something Rob, like that, but Rob, Lohman. I think just Rob Lohman is the yeah. director of pro scouting. Yeah. And so just, it goes to show the reach that the lions have just beyond coaching staffs too. They are, they are digging and they have sources and they have, um, people across the league that that they trust in uh, in bringing good people, good players, um, all that sort of stuff. Anything else, Ryan? Before we close this out, hey, you and you and Eric did it. Whoa, that's a, that's a word. Um, you and uh, you and Eric did a fantastic job of, of laying things out. So I guess I just want to say something to to the contingent Alliance fans who uh, are continuistic are, are continuously uh, fatalistic and chicken little and the sky is falling and concerned about things before they happen. Um, I, th- I think you guys, you, you guys kind of assuaged all of the concerns, right? Like Dan Campbell is well plugged in. There's, there's contingency plans for, for coaches and 
um, for people in charge of player personnel and so on and so forth. So it's like, don't, don't be worried about people getting snatched up because Dan's got a plan. Dan's got a plan. 2024. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. And wishing you and everyone a lovely happy uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> thank, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, bud. Uh, we're going to close things up there. Uh, another long edition of the, the Spotify Live. Um, we're actually going to go overtime a, a little bit for our live audience. So if you want to join us, Next week, again, download the Spotify Live app if you can find it on the App Store because it is a dying app. Um, (laughs) And make sure you're following us at Pride of Detroit. We do these at 9 a.m. Eastern time, so sorry to all your West Coasters. But until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. 